Hello and welcome to Talkie Talk. I am Brent, joined by TJ. How's it going? Hello. Good. How are you? I'm great. Excited to be on another uh, episode that we did not wait three years <laughs> to do. Uh, also joined by David. David, how's it going? Uh, I'm good. How are you doing? I made sure to made sure to cut to you mid sip. Hey, are you sure, David? David, how are you doing? What? <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, hydrated. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're back to talk. Uh, this time, this episode is going to be a slightly different. We're going to kind of be split in time between two things: one TV show and one movie. The TV show we're going to talk about in a bit is season two of The Bear on Hulu. And then we will follow that up with uh, another part two, Extraction 2 on Netflix, the Chris Hemsworth uh, actioner from earlier this summer. So, uh, But first, I always like to start with some breezy on the streets. And I think we've got some breezy this week. Uh, I've got a very small breezy to throw in, uh, sent to me by friend of the podcast, Al, which I don't think he yeah, got a he... mention in our last episode. But well, he, he didn't do shit. So. He didn't do that episode. That's Sorry. I'll, no, I'll you be, started. I'll beat this. <laughs> uh, no, this was a, a press conference held before the teaser trailer for the new Timothy Chalamet Wonka movie. Have you all watched the teaser or read anything about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, terrifying. You get Hugh Grant as a like the first Oompa Loompa. That part's real scary and is all over social media right now. Weird. Uh, um but during his press conference, he had one of the weirdest, like, this is why this movie is going to succeed, quotes. Uh, he said that uh, <laughs> this movie answers all the questions about Willy Wonka that you never had. <laughs> That's I, all I believe the questions. Him. I believe him. <laughs> That's true. It's like the... Uh, I've never old, had a one. It's the old meme with the two books that contain all human knowledge it's everything you learn at harvard business school and everything harvard business school doesn't teach you <laughs> uh but yeah this guy uh, did a bad job of making me want to see this movie that i already don't really want to see but it's paul king if you like the paddington movies it's it's that writer director yeah. i know those do movies were more well, beloved yeah it's although i just this is like going down the same path as Joker, which is just like I, they're picking the characters I don't need the I don't really need the background story on, and they're they're not the most interesting characters from these properties to me. Um, it's a little weird just because it's like I don't I don't I don't get the whole like in the teaser it's just like what do you want to do with your life? He's like I want to make chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's not I mean okay that's probably pretty easy <laughs> for you. They'll let you. <laughs> Like it's, yep. what is it? Just him applying for a business license? Or, yeah. I mean, how how difficult was this? He moves to Pennsylvania, tries to get a job. Just wait for the health inspector part. That's the thrilling part of this. Oh man, we get to talk about the bear later. <laughs> but that is literally my breezy on the streets. Was his director not really knowing how to tell me to watch this movie? Yeah, that's that's disappointing. I got no breezy. David, do you have... Oh, David, do you have breezy? Do you have uh, some Emmy nominations to talk about? Yeah, yeah. Um, on the, the cusp of, like, the actors going on strike and the, the writers going on strike, the Emmy nominations for the Emmys that will probably not happen 
That's kind of the the vibe of these Emmy nominations. But they came out, and then uh, like hours later, the SAG went on strike, SAG-AFTRA. But we have these nominations for shows released May 2022 through May 2023, <laughs> that classic schedule. Um, so basically, like in drama, I'm not going to go through every nomination because that would take, there's like 175 categories here. Mm-hmm. But uh, big, big nominees in drama, Succession and White Lotus each get like 20 plus nominations. Like, for drama, we have Andor, Better Call Saul, House of the Dragon, Succession, The Crown, The Last of Us, The White Lotus, Yellow Jackets. Um, I'm I'm not that proficient at TV. I've only seen about two of these. Um, maybe this will be good to to watch the watch the rest of these I haven't seen yet. Um, but in uh, comedy, we have uh, Abbott Elementary, Barry, Jury Duty, uh, Only Murders in the Building, Ted Lasso, Marvelous Miss Maisel and Wednesday and season one of FX's The Bear. I've seen like four or five of those. That's pretty good. Yeah, I've seen a lot of the comedies. Uh, Yeah, it's a decent group. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have any other reactions other than just thinking about those shows that I've watched. uh, I liked Jury Duty. I thought that was a very fun, pleasant show. The Bear season one, um, I was a fan of, and uh, this is only like in the building season two, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so uh, you have not watched those, David? I've seen season one of Only Murders in the Building, and I've seen uh, I've started season two, but that's as far as I've I've gotten on that. And then I've watched uh, both seasons of The Bear, obviously, and I've watched Barry. Um, hilarious comedy. <laughs> People complain about these that these are a lot of these are dramedies or or very depressing comedies. I feel like it's kind of hard to even find a straight like Seinfeld comedy these days. They don't really exist anymore. Yeah, unless they're animated, I guess. Season two of Only Murders is a little interesting. I, I definitely like season one a lot better than season two, but I don't know. The, the three of the leads there are are really good, I think. And I do think that's a comedy more than it is a, like, drama mm-hmm. or a thriller or anything. And also, I think Jury Duty is a pretty, like, solidly in the comedy genre. But I can also understand people watching The Bear, which is, I feel like, very dramatically built. And there are moments that are funny within The Bear, but it just doesn't feel like a comedy to me. It's a drama. Ugh. Like ninety percent of the laughter I have during the bear is like nervous laughter, <laughs> like survival <laughs> laughter. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's just that it's like twenty eight minutes? Some of the episodes. Do you think that factors into some of this classification? Is yeah. just the fact that it's a it's a shorter drama, and they just think ah it's th- it's thirty minutes it must be a comedy. Yeah. So similar thing happened to Shameless back in the day. You know, you guys know the show Shameless. Um, no of it. Macy show that actually Jeremy Allen White was in beforehand, but it was originally a comedy, but it was an hour long comedy, and it had to move over to drama because it was it was back when if you were sixty minutes you had to be a comedy or you had to be a drama, so it, it had to keep switching. Same with Orange Is the New Black had to do the same thing, originally comedy and drama and going back and forth. 
They should change the names of these categories. So weird. <laughs> I feel like. Yeah, outstanding half hour series, outstanding hour plus series. No one can laugh for an hour. Are you crazy? <laughs> weird. Well, was there anything, sort of, any big takeaway from the Emmy nominations, David, that you, you noticed or heard about? Because I don't really pay attention to the noms, so I don't know what people are talking about regarding them. Yeah, um, I, I don't, I don't pay attention too much to like the uh, the snubs. Snubs feels like it's like an active, like not picking something. In 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 most of these cases, like the people who are voting on these things have only watched a couple shows. Yeah. So there's a lot of categories that have two, three, four, five actors in some categories. Like White Lotus, Best Supporting Actress has five of those people, and then four. Uh, four people from uh, the best supporting actor and four people from Succession. So, two shows have eight nominations, and then like the rest of TV doesn't exist. I guess there's a lot of uh, a lot of shows with a bunch of nominations, and some shows with a couple, and some shows you know just weren't watched. Yeah, I don't know. The Emmys always felt closer to the Grammys in my mind as far as award shows go. It was just Yeah. I never really cared what won. I don't know the trivia as much. Um, it's always been kind of Oscars and everything else. But I also feel like the Academy Awards do more for their winners. Not like doing more uh, I mean they do more for their how much money and how many eyeballs end up on them than the Emmys do. All these shows get watched a ton anyway. Nobody's going to start watching Succession now because it got nominated for an Emmy, you know? Yeah. yeah. And with with some of these being on streaming, like, what are you just... There's more streams that aren't really going to be, you know, tabulated or available for anybody. And if you're trying to sell something, like, you always hear in, like, a movie poster or a trailer, like, Academy Award nominee, this person... You don't really hear uh, Emmy nominee. This person <laughs> doesn't really stick with you as much. Not yeah. as much of a merit badge. Yeah, yeah. I don't have much to add. Agree with all that. But I am uh, excited that the bear got nominated because it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's, it's phenomenal. And I'll probably be even more gung ho next July when the bear season two gets nominated. Speaking of, we all watch the bear season two. And, uh, I'm, yeah, let's, I mean, I don't know how deep of a review we want to do, but I'd like to talk about it a little bit with y'all. And, um, so just tell me, let's start with David, uh, cause I haven't talked to you about this TV show yet. Um, what was, uh, your experience with bear season one? Did you watch it last year and then pick this up immediately or, uh, or did you just sort of binge recently? Uh, I didn't watch it for the longest time. And then I think it was talking to you, TJ, about it. Because I was like, this show seems like super stressful. And I was at a point in my life where it's like, I don't really need to escape the stress with more stress and like panic and anxiety. But uh, I think you, you sold it that it was, uh, it was, it was a, just watch a good show. So I did. And then I, I started watching and I just, you know, banged out the whole season in probably a couple days. And uh, loved it. Thought thought it was great. So when this, uh, when they plopped all of the, uh, I gotta find better verbs than 
<laughs> plops great than, than that. <laughs> when they plopped all of these available for streaming on Hulu, all of a sudden I uh, I attacked it. I probably watched all of it in the span of like a couple days. Also, yeah, I I actually saw someone suggesting that they think that Hulu may have that this is a show that may have benefited more from a staggered release and. Uh, some of these other shows that get released all at once, or I'm sorry, that do get staggered releases, would probably be better served to be released uh, all at once. Um, but I don't know. I don't. Um, all at once for everything forever. That's where I stand on that. I can pace myself. I'm an adult. <laughs> yeah, I, we force ourselves to kind of pace the bear because it is, like you said, it is a stressful show. Um, season one felt more stressful to me than season mm-hmm. two. Because uh, they're really on the brink of failure uh, and collapse in season one, but um, yeah, it's the kind of show where we would watch it when we ate dinner and we uh, we would finish it, and Ashley would say, "You want to watch another?" And I'm just like, I, "I don't know that I let's just let's hold off. We'll watch one tomorrow because it's it is a show I have to pace myself with because it's I don't know that this is the show I can just sit and watch episode after episode. Whereas something like um, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson as a show that we we watched oh, yeah. the entire season the night it came out. So, I think it, it would have been like I, I like being able to pace myself, but there's something about the I guess national conversation or like how things are covered that it would have been nice to have like what Succession had when Succession just ended like podcasts every week, you know, articles on Vulture and Variety and stuff like interviewing people as it's going along. This season especially has a lot of, uh, like, water cooler episodes. Like the Mm. Seven Fishes episode and the Forks episode especially. Would have been great to have, like, you know, those those spaced apart by a week. And, you know, get all the the talk about them. Especially the, all of the, uh, all of, all of the everything of the Seven Fishes. And, like, the meditative, um, kind of, the meditative approach to Forks. Like, being back-to-back, being able to talk about that. But... Yeah, I don't know. I also, uh, I'm a person who watched them all probably within 48 hours because I just couldn't stop. So they gave me what I wanted. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. That's a good point. I, I do remember, I do miss that aspect of TV shows where it was every, like, I feel like the last time we really had it, well, I guess, I guess Succession, but to a greater extent, Game of Thrones is sort of the last time that like the whole world was watching a show together and we were all even with each other kind of. And so there would be, you could talk about a show with someone and they would, you just assumed that for the most part they were, you know, they had seen what you had seen. Whereas with streaming shows that get dropped all at once, it's, it's hard to either, either someone has watched the whole thing or they've watched none of it for, for the most part. So I can, I can see that anyway, though, that's less, uh, we're not really talking deeply about the bear here yet. So let's, let's jump into the bear season two. So, um, when you were, uh, and, and, uh, We'll go to TJ for this, but like when, um, what were you kind of expecting out of this season? Because season one was they milked the the like the brink of failure uh, for a lot of drama, and so they succeeded at the end of season one. So what did you kind of think season two was going to be? Huh, that's a good question. I mean, I I do think that in season one you had this arc of like things are going to fail things are going to fail things are going to fail and then I guess they succeeded at the end they got lucky or however you want to say that but I mean it was a happy ending I guess 
uh, for a show that had no happiness in it before that. I guess one thing that I was really interested in going into season two was the only person that really wanted to be there in season one was Sydney, right? Like, she was the only one who, like, cared at all about any of it. Everybody else kind of hated what they were. And then mm-hmm. when he dis- when, when Karm decided to, to launch the bear at the end, it was flipped now, right? Everybody wants to do what they're doing. Um, so I, I, I kind of had a feeling that it was going to be the opposite. It was going to be, things are going great, things are going great, things are going great. And then at the end, it was going to kind of implode on itself, maybe. And there may have been a little bit of that, but I would mm-hmm. I would not say that things were going great the whole season. Um, the, they, they succeeded in, in, in the parts that you, you thought they were going to fail at. and You had some relationship failures that happened instead, which is probably more entertaining TV. I mean, I think I like season two better than season one overall. It's just hard to... It was really hard to navigate that, that feeling because season one is... You're going to be nostalgic with season ones that are that good, you know. You know what season two made me think of a little bit was the feeling in Ghostbusters of, like, really resenting, like, the EPA. Like, our fun-loving guys, how can a government agency, like, slow down their role? And, like, a lot of talk of, like, fire suppression services and health inspections and stuff, like... I would like to go to a restaurant where things are safe and the kitchen's not going to blow up and I'm not going to, like, die by eating their food, (laughs) But really, it hits you over the head with like, man, these government agencies. <laughs> how, yeah. how dare they? <clears throat> yeah, I do think that season two is interesting. Going back to what TJ was saying about like, this is season two is it's still very dramatic, and it's just as dramatic as season one. But the drama to me comes from a different place of you're watching people get better at what they do. They're, they're getting better at their jobs. They're finding things that they're good at. And especially in the case of Richie, which is maybe my favorite episode of the season. So and it's mine for sure. Um, and the, the pastry chef, which I forget his name, but Marcus, Marcus. Yes. Marcus's sort of trip to, to go, you know, like uh, really explore his passion. I, I loved that. And I love that there wasn't this big failure or anything, but they, they managed to find drama in it without uh while he just got better and while he found something that he loved and i i really appreciated that because that's something you don't see in every tv show Um, yeah it's like all these characters are growing the tension is are they all growing in the same direction Mm -hmm. like especially uh carmy carmy's arc and and versus like sydney's arc and kind of the rest of the people that end up you know, spoiler alert, in the last episode, end up kind of carrying through the service of the uh, friends and family service while he's locked in the uh, locked in the uh, the freezer. You know, they're all working as a unit, and he's taking all the, uh, the worst parts of how you succeed. And the I think the thing that I'm looking forward to in season three is, like, how does he come back to terms with those people, especially how he talked to Richie in the end and how he treated yeah. Sydney. Well... You know, the rest of his staff was, you know, doing great under tutelage and like the apprenticeship and and stuff. And he's he's the one that could potentially hold them back. I guess probably true from season one as as well. Can he yeah, I mean, be stable enough for that to happen? The they succeeded when he was literally locked away. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's when things calmed down and everything kind of went well. Mm-hmm. It was fascinating because it's. Definitely a show in season one, especially where like Carm's the hero, right? 
Like, mm-hmm. that's the way we're supposed to see it, anyway. He's flawed, but he's who you're rooting for. And everybody mm-hmm. else is kind of a ass, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I like that it kind of flipped that at the end. I also love seeing people progress and get good at stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And probably why I liked uh, the Richie episode. I just really, really love watching him succeed. Yeah. And there's something about that process of like his day starting and then him getting up progressively earlier and just the, the repetitive nature of like, this is how you get better at stuff. And this is how you kind of reveal talents you have. That's also my, my favorite episode of the season. I know the the Seven Fishes one is flashy. It has so many like guest characters and so many over-the-top performances. But yeah, I, I, I come back to Forks. It's definitely my favorite. One reason I liked the Richie episode so much was the Christmas episode, though. I mean, I loved the mm-hmm. the guys cleaning forks nine hours a day now, and the last one of the last memories he has of his best friend growing up is him throwing forks and making a fool out of himself. Mm-hmm. You know, at a family dinner right before he commits suicide. It's just crazy. Um, that that part really made his ascension to. I mean, I don't even know how good he was at what he was doing at the end of that episode, but he loved it. And that was kind of enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, the the Seven Fishes episode was a spectacle, no doubt. Um, it, it it almost it almost feels like something you would see on network television because they would they would advertise all the stars that were going to be. On. It's like, oh, this is the May sweeps episode of mm-hmm. yeah. uh, of the Bear, but um, I mean. Was the uh, how did you like all the guest stars? I think for the I think for the most part they were great. Did any of you guys have a favorite kind of guest star performance in that episode? Hmm. My mine might be John Mulaney as just the the non family person just enjoying the uh, enjoying the cousins trying to sell him baseball cards. Did laugh really hard at the baseball <laughs> card thing. I'm gonna give you the money, but you need to tell me what you wasted on. <laughs> Do I have $400? Yes, I'm 48 years old, so I do have $400. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then I, I like his take on like the Seven Fishes thing, him, him having to do the uh, lead the prayer. And I, he was he was surprisingly, uh, you know, he was he was funny, but I thought he was he was probably my favorite little guest star in that. He, he's the only one who could have led the prayer because everyone else like someone at the table hated everyone else at the table like there's there's a, there, everyone else had issues that he's the only person I feel like no one had issues with in that moment and could actually for a brief moment prevent Mikey from throwing the throwing the fork um yeah I think I think for me it's probably Jamie Lee Curtis she's got the most to do but man she does a lot with it she's so good the stuff the stuff I love that she does isn't the stuff where she has a lot to do though I feel like the it's the first half of the episode, Jamie Lee Curtis, I thought was particularly kind of phenomenal. It's still a lot to do, but it's less to do than the last half of the episode, Jamie Lee Curtis. I've seen people be hot and cold on her in that episode. That sometimes she's too much, or sometimes her too much isn't enough. Like, you want people to even go further than that, or what she was doing was cartoonish. I thought she I thought she did a pretty good job. She, she, she wouldn't be my favorite of the episode, though. Yeah, I, I thought she was kind of spot on, and I thought her her up and down and her being too much and not being enough mm-hmm. played off for me as manic in a really good way, mm-hmm. yeah, in a really a really sad way. 
Well, you know, speaking of her, what kind of sets her off in that episode, just for this season in general, I really enjoyed having a lot more Abby Elliott uh, in this season. So good this season. Like, yeah, surprisingly yeah. good. I Phenomenal. really enjoyed that character, and I thought she was kind of underserved in season one, and I'm, I was very happy that she uh, had a much uh, to- expanded totally, role. Totally agree. Yeah, she nailed it. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, her interactions with all the people are good. Also, like, I don't, I don't know, I don't have any, I guess none of us have any female siblings, but I, I do love that, like, uh, the baby sister can do no wrong with so many people. Um, that whole mm-hmm. way that plays out through the show, especially with Unk and how mm-hmm. he is treats her like gold when he treats Carmen and Richie like poop a lot. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really funny. And also leads to the her relationship with her mother is that much harder to watch because everybody loves Suge so much, you know? Yeah. She tries so hard and is just never going to be that person for her mom, but it, it gives a great, uh, this season gives a great another kind of like note to play other than people shouting and like yelling at each other and throwing stuff is Sugar, I think they call her Sugar, right? Sugar <laughs> and Sugar. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, you know, her her getting to finesse people and like uh, kind of be nice and it's a different way to work people than yelling at them and you know repeating Carmi's trauma from like his 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 chef his uh, chef upbringing from uh, Joel McHale the Joel McHale New York chef that kind of broke him. Right. Yeah. It's uh it's good. Also, I'm, I'm a sucker for Oliver Platt in literally anything. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was glad he had more screen time this season than last. He's so good. He's so good in this show. I mean, like you said, he's good in everything. But the um, the retelling of the Steve Bartman story, which I'm so happy that this that they got that story correct. That they it was, it was perfect. That they did not blame Steve Bartman for anything. The uh, I, I'm, I'm, it makes me so happy that the show did not take the wrong route on Bartman. I think I've gotten that exact same speech from Brian before. <laughs> so it was nice good, to have it dramatized. Good, good, good for our friend Brian. <laughs> yeah. our, our cubby fan friend. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, it was great. I was like uh, I was like talking with him when we were we were uh, watching watch the episode. I was like, yeah, it's, it's Alex Gonzalez's fault. It's uh, Moises Alou. He got upset over nothing. <laughs> and then he would bring up Moises Alou and my wife looked at She's like, Okay. Do you want to tell me the story before he tells the story, or, or what? <laughs> well, let me just pause it real quick. We'll see if he gets it right. Uh, Man, going yeah. back to that Christmas episode, I was I was also watching all these episodes with my wife, and when Jamie Lee Curtis finally had the blow up about everybody asking her if she was okay, and she's like, "Do I not look okay?" And Sarah Paulson's character just goes, "Not really." Like Cass audibly went, "Oh no!" <laughs> like it's the last thing you want to tell a Chicago woman of sixty years old or whatever. She doesn't look okay. It's horrible. What were your thoughts on the other guest stars this season outside of the Seven Fishes episode? So you have uh, like Olivia Coleman and uh, Will Poulter come to mind. Um, yeah, I mean. Uh, Olivia Coleman was great, and I, again, she's she's kind of an Oliver Platt for me. I'll be happy whatever she's on any screen mm-hmm. I'm looking at. Um, she didn't have a lot to do, but that episode was great anyway. Uh, Will Poulter might be my favorite uh, guest star this season. I don't I don't know. 
I really liked that episode. It was real sweet. Did y'all mm-hmm. did y'all catch Molly Ringwald in this season of the Bear? No, but I no. know she she's she doesn't look <laughs> she's not super recognizable to me anymore. So uh, it was in season one, not season two. But I just saw that when I was scrolling through guest stars. Mm. And couldn't remember. She runs the Al Anon meeting that Carm goes to. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh okay yeah yeah. Will Poulter to me really felt the most just like it could have just been a chef. Like, really underplayed, really reserved, like, the other side of cooking. Again, I think the second season's really good of showing this other dimension of why these people want to do it. It's not just because it's their fate and it's pressure. It's like people are inspired to create and people find peace that lead all kinds of different lives and do this creative pursuit. I thought that was a great, uh, great uh, kind of grace note to put in that Amsterdam episode. Yeah. I actually, and also, it, I really liked Will Poulter too. And I, I don't think I've, I don't know that I've ever really liked him, a performance of his that much before. He's he's good in um, Midsommar, uh, but it's also it's a good part in Midsommar. And I don't know that he necessarily brought things to that character that the script didn't. I, I think it's just a really well written movie. And so he's a he's an he's an actor that I've never really. I've never hated him. I just have never really noticed him all that much before. And uh, but here, I just thought he 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 really had an understated kind of performance. He didn't. It was a very um, subdued performance that I thought was it was really nice, and it it really matched up Marcus's it matched up with Marcus's sort of uh, character. And I, I thought that episode was just beautiful, and I really mm-hmm. liked him. I'll mention two more real quick. I just that I enjoyed a lot one was i know he got nominated for an emmy for season one but uh and he had some monologues in season one that were entertaining but i thought barenthal was really good in the christmas episode yeah. uh this season and mm-hmm. uh also like i'm all about bob odenkirk being a villain on the show <laughs> it was really good how much he made me hate him yeah yeah, yeah. anytime he gets to yell at someone that's just playing into a sweet spot of yeah like, that's how that's how odenkirk odenkirk cooks it's his new celebrity chef show i do i do want to ask about john barenthal though has have you ever seen him in something that wasn't like a role that was just like this is a john barenthal type character (laughs) like has he ever i feel like all i guess the i guess the first time i saw him (laughs) that's it yeah because which i guess for me is the walking dead probably the first time i saw him I feel all his characters kind of fit into that same sort of vein, but he is good at that vein, for sure. Maybe the Wolf of Wall Street is a little not John Barenthal. What is he? Yeah, he's he's Um, one of the uh, people selling. He's one of the people laundering money. He's one of those wolves. (laughs) (laughs) He actually plays Wall Street. Um, Yeah, that's a good question though. He is. uh, He's in Me Earl and the Dying Girl. Do not remember that. He's on the what? What's the TV? Uh, he's on Daredevil. Well, he was a he's Punisher. Punisher. Uh, yeah, eventually. But um, I think his his the first show he was on in that series was uh, was Daredevil. But as as Punisher, he's he's pretty perfect casting for for the Punisher. Yeah, super but, intense guy who can shout. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, he plays Lee Iacocca in uh, Ford v Ferrari. That's a John Barenthal role too. <laughs> so good point, Brett. He's also a tennis coach in King Richard. He gets to also yell and have a mustache and do Barenthal type stuff. 
I'm not, I'm not suggesting I'm not suggesting he's a bad actor. I'm just suggesting that he might not be like a real chameleon of an actor. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, that's well, uh oh, David, you had mentioned that the, the uh you had mentioned the theme of people finding peace. Do you think that that is what the bear is ultimately about? Through through two seasons, I'm kind of curious. What do you think the overarching um, it's, theme of the show is? It's either that or it's the opposite of people who are stuck in trauma. There's definitely trauma loops throughout the whole, you know, the whole two seasons of it. You know, going back to the stuff with their the stuff with um, John Bernthal's Mikey character dying, and then the the show goes back further, and it starts with the mom, and it probably goes back further past that. You know, some people can rise above and uh, kind of find peace, and some people are still drowning in it. Like Carmi, the the trauma of some of his upbringing and the things that happened to him, and getting you know traumatized. And you know, cooking can be uh, like the restaurant business can also be very toxic. Leaders and chefs that abuse people, and they're kind of given carte blanche because that's part of you know it's a creative environment and that can happen so it's it's either one or the other it's the finding peace or it's the drowning in trauma i think that's what the show's defined yeah. by best comedy <laughs> best comedy nominee hilarious <laughs> uh, any more thoughts on the bear season two tj not really i mean i think we kind of covered it. I, I was just thinking about david's response to that which is really good and then how the show does a really good job of it's kind of what David was saying in the beginning of this conversation, but of flipping it kind of back. It seems like, you know, Carm's the one who's going to find peace. Carm's the one who's going to get settled down. He's got to fight through all these, you know, crazy friends and people that he's met along the way. And in the end, kind of everybody's figured it out and at peace except for Carm. Except for Carmy. Yeah. yeah. So, good point. I was thinking about to myself while David was saying it. It's good. Well, that closes the book on the bear to season two. I, I think it's if it's not clear, we all wholeheartedly recommend everyone watch the bear if you haven't already. It's it's kind of a buzzy show, so it's not like it's a, something people probably haven't heard about. So, yeah, and I hadn't seen Succession, um, which I know is a show that everybody loved, but it's it's the best show I've seen in a couple of years. For me, it, it after Succession ended, like Succession is one of my favorite shows. The bear has uh, the belt. You know, that's something that I think on The Ringer they talk about. Like, what show has the belt? Like, what's the best show on television right now? Right now, for nice. me, it's it's the bear. I haven't seen anything since the second season came out that is going to take it from it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Everybody watch the bear. Let us know what you think. Uh, that takes us to our movie this week, which is uh, we picked uh, something recent after did oceans 11 last time so we thought we'd do something a little more recent and topical i guess uh for for this episode uh we're watching extraction 2 on netflix a 2023 film so we can all add to our 2023 uh watch list uh this is the sequel to the 2020 netflix original film extraction both by the same director director sam hargrave and uh, it follows the story of Tyler Rake, who, if you watched the first Extraction, you probably didn't know they were going to follow the story of Tyler Rake because it sure seemed like he died at the end of it. <laughs> but uh, 
nope, they just decided to go have some more <coughs> uh, fun with this character. Extractions? With, yeah, more extractions. <laughs> so, so TJ, what was your, I mean, prior experience with extract? Had you had seen the first extraction when it came out? Um... I don't think it was like when it came out, but it was it was a while ago. Not not for this podcast, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you watched it, and you know we chat on the phone a lot and to give us stuff to chat about. I will watch things you watch. Yeah, I, I probably at the time did not give it a hearty recommendation, but I probably said it's a pretty good, it's a decent action movie. It's watchable. I don't, I'll watch bad things. I'll watch bad things repeatedly. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's true. Just, just try me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was episode one twenty. Talk about space cowboys for like half an hour. <laughs> David, what about you? What was your? Uh, did you did you watch this uh, any time in the past few years, or just this week? Uh, just just kind of this week. This isn't this isn't necessarily my bag as much. Like these, yeah. there's these, especially for streaming, especially Netflix. There are these movies that come out like Triple Frontier. It kind of reminds me of it. Uh, these two extraction movies that are kind of disposable, digestible little action movies that have some kind of take on it. So I, I never watched it back in 2020. I probably I probably knew it existed, but uh, to be prepared for this one, I watched uh, the first extraction and this one. And then I was telling TJ before the podcast, I watched the second one enough a while ago that it had completely I completely forgot about what happened in the whole thing. <laughs> so then, do. so then I to to be prepared for this because I'm a professional. I watched it at one and a half speed just to get myself back up to speed. Oh my god! I didn't the even fighting, know that was possible. <laughs> the fighting at one and a half speed must be insane. And the funny part of it is, is the the first time I watched it. Like, I thought, oh, there's some cool action set pieces. There's some long shots here and there. I didn't realize that there was a 20-minute one-shot the first time I watched it. It took until watching it again at one and a half speed. I was like, oh, man, there's no cuts for, like, all of this <laughs> crazy action time. I didn't man, even I realize it the first time through. I wrote it down on my notes to bring up the one-shot in the finale of The Bear, too. <laughs> Just because Oh yeah, we were talking about <laughs> I, this movie I feel like afterwards. that's... That's going to be a tradition with the bear, I think, is having a long mm-hmm. one in the yeah. finale. I can see that being a thing. It was intentional and well done. Um, well, unlike the bear, which I think was a pretty legitimate one shot, maybe maybe even one take sequence to, to some extent. I, I don't know, but it, I could believe it. Uh, this one was more stitched together. But still impressively done. I mean, I, I it did have me wondering, like, what's more important to me? Like, the off, being impressed that they could do it in one take or just the experience of it feeling like one shot. And I decided that, for me, the more impressive thing is, or the, the thing that matters more to me, at least, is the, the feeling of it being one shot. So as long as they stitch it together in a way that is not you know, annoying to me or super noticeable. I'm, I'm kind of okay with it. So they cheated a little bit on this 20 minute winner, but it's, uh, it was impressive. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I will delve into our reviews. Uh, what did you, David, what did you think of the movie? Focusing uh, more on two, I guess compared to one. They, they definitely extracted boy. Do they extract, they extract the people the were there and then they weren't. Not even people. Bullets. <laughs> mm, yeah. Helicopters. 
All kinds of stuff got extracted. Family trauma also extracted. Uh, bears, probably. <laughs> uh, it, it was. It's like a classic, like two and a half, three star movie for me. Like, it, it's the kind of thing that literally did happen for me. Is I kind of forgot most about it within a couple days. So that I had to watch it again. And, you know, after this episode, I'll probably kind of forget most of it again. And I'll probably remember uh, that I hate the name Tyler Rake. And that it was a pretty pretty decent one-shot. Idris Elba likes the name Tyler Rake. <laughs> I don't understand why this character is named Tyler Rake. Because there's, like, was it... They, they made a reference to how it's an unusual name in the first movie. And in the second movie... A guy who isn't Tyler Rake does stab someone in the neck with a rake. <laughs> is, is this based on like a character? This is an original character, right, for these movies? It's not like based on a the second, uh, novel or anything. The, the second se- one's based on a graphic novel, I think. Oh. Written by the Russo brothers. Yeah. With, with another uh, guy. Okay, that's why I probably <laughs> felt... <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> well, um, TJ, what did you think of the movie? Um, I thought the second 20 minutes were great <laughs> and everything else was pretty pretty bad pretty boring I think by the time the villain died did y'all care I just found myself wondering that on a rewatch like when the big bad dies at the end I really didn't care what happened to him which was interesting same I, I guess care is the wrong word for me to associate with this movie <laughs> Maybe I didn't care yeah, I mean, much at all about do anything. Think, do you think the movie yeah. cares? Like, but was movie... I? Was I? I don't. I don't. That's kind of what I'm asking, David. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. That's that's more of the question. I mean, it's like, are we supposed to care if this guy goes to jail or whatever? Also, man, the like Chechnya mafia is really well funded. <laughs> they, like, good lord, was it Chechnya? I don't want to. It was. It was Georgia, but it was Georgia, unrecognizable. Okay. I've been from Valdosta all the way up to Hawassie. <laughs> I've lived in Georgia my whole life, and man, this didn't look anything like Georgia. I, they need to get better uh, consultants or something to say, y'all need to put a big chicken in there somewhere <laughs> so that we know it's Georgia. I did think something more <laughs> something more interesting about the first one is I did like the Indian setting, that it was, mm-hmm. it was interesting to have this guy jump into, like, uh, Bombay. A river. And, oh. Yeah. <laughs> jump into a river. Uh, most famous Indian river, this this side of RRR. <laughs> might might have been might have been the same river. I don't know. But that that's farther. more that's more distinct for me than the you know he was. They say they were Albanian and they went to Georgia and they they kind of seemed Chechnyan or Russian. It it kind of does the uh, like '90s '80s movies wave off of like they're Eastern European. So that means you don't have to care about them. That's not what I'm saying, but it means like they're kind of generically European. That's, that's what it felt like. Yeah. I have another question. I like when Brent was like, well, how do you feel about the movie? And it's like, I don't know. Y'all need to tell me how I feel about it, I think. Um, so I watched it twice in the past 10 days. I, I just can't. Go ahead. Why do, they, why do they go to jail at the end? <laughs> that's Probably for question. the whole... Um... They were just in jail. And I was like, oh, they did something bad well the cops show up at the end of the the church fight so i guess the cops are just like we have strict laws against church fighting 
<laughs> to go to jail. Sorry. You guys, you guys shot up our church. <laughs> shot it up pretty good. Broke a box of nails. That's that's going to cost you. <laughs> okay. Well, I feel better now that y'all don't know either. <laughs> I, guess. It's, I, didn't I, mean, I, he, I didn't know if he was in jail for the for the destruction at the final scene. Uh, more likely to me is the 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 whole prison breakout and starting the riot and everything. I mean, it could also be, like, just the hundreds of people that he killed and, like, trains that he destroyed and stuff. Like, you know, he's our hero and that's great. Oh, he definitely broke laws. It (laughs) was just a a weird turn in this movie to be like, well, now they're in jail. Because, you know, reality. (laughs) I can't do all this and not go to jail. I mean, at the first movie, he, he, like, did all that stuff and, like, was in a hospital. But how did he not go to jail after doing all that stuff in the first movie? Apparently, once you cross that bridge, then uh, Indian laws no longer apply to you or anything. Because <laughs> at the end of extraction, it was just like get to the end of the bridge, and then all the bad guys were just like, "Well, we can't cross that bridge." So <laughs> Mark Rylance he, is at the he end gets of the away. bridge. That's his bridge of spies. Yeah. <laughs> God, the bridges in the river thing in the first one. The David Harbor explained to them how rivers and bridges work in the first movie. It was just so hard to watch. He's <laughs> just like, "Well, you're surrounded by river." There are bridges, but people are on those bridges. It's like, oh my god, that took you like 30 seconds to explain. Okay, it's time for my review of Extraction 2. <laughs> Just broke me. I totally forgot. He was in that movie and that whole thing. <laughs> so bad. I thought Extraction 2 was an improvement in almost every way from extraction the the first extraction and partially because better better title (laughs) it's yeah uh but no like no david harbour for the that scene really dragged that movie down to a halt for me like the momentum of the movie yeah um i thought this one kind of this one was too long yeah i get that there i get that there are three set pieces that they want to do which is fine but you either need to sacrifice some aspect of some of the set pieces. Uh, for me, probably the hospital was a little more drawn out than it needed to be because it was the least impressive of the three set pieces for me. And I, I wouldn't cut a minute of that prison train sequence because yeah, I thought from, that was from, phenomenal. From breaking into prison till they get off the train is just excellent. Yeah, yeah so I, I, I wouldn't cut any of that. Maybe cut one of the many conversations between the mother and the son. Um, I... I appreciate what they're going for. I actually thought that I thought the villain was better in this one, mostly because having watched both of these movies in the last 48 hours, I cannot even picture the villain of the first extraction. It's just like a guy sitting at a table telling people to kill him, I guess telling people to kill Tyler Rake. It's actually the table. <laughs> it's just the table. It could just be a table. It's just like a, a propped up mannequin. Um, Got to get the four legs of this table. <laughs> that being said, I didn't think I didn't think the villain here was great. Uh, also, oh, I'll tell you what I would cut. I would cut all the flashbacks to the villain as kids with his brother. Yeah, those were completely ineffective. I did not make me care one bit about like what was driving him in his like quest for revenge. He's just a bad guy. I got that. I got that when he stabbed the guy with the rake. That's all you needed. He stabbed his lawyer with a rake and threw him in a ditch. And that, to me, establishes that he's bad, and that's all I need done in this movie. I don't, I don't need a bunch of flashbacks to him and him and his brother growing up. I don't think that was his lawyer. I think that was a government official that he just, like, murked. Oh. <laughs> he 
even they, worse. I don't know why I even like bothered to correct it, but <laughs> and like that's way better. Never mind. I love it. No. Any <laughs> any of the scenes with like log on to Letterbox, change your review. <laughs> any of the scenes with the two brothers and like he, his second in command guy is like, you know, your father wouldn't have been doing revenge and stuff. He's like, well, I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm gonna kill you. All you really have to do is like just have them like. Like loading guns and be yeah. in a car, and they're like, "We're on you our way." You just said it like he was. You just said that like he was from Georgia, United States. <laughs> I don't care. I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> Killing's gotta be done. I'm from Georgia. Hey, Hara. Yeah, when he when he shoots his friend, I was just like, I was like, who is that guy? He's just a guy. I guess he. Yeah, I guess he was in previous scenes. I hadn't even noticed that guy before. And then they had that that big dramatic scene where he shoots him. And I felt nothing. So anyway, I, I I don't want to oversell the villain here, but I do think the villain's an improvement on the first movie. Um, I also think the 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 person he's extracting the the family. I think that works better here than it did in the first movie, which is just like the kid of a rich criminal. I could see that Tyler was a little more like invested in this story. I I thought the story here was slightly better without being good. Because this is still a very routine story. Tethering the extractees to be uh, people from his past. That's his, like, ex-sister-in-law and and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely, like, manipulative, like, trying to do instant instant compassion from the audience of, like, that's his family and the thing with his kid. Like, super manipulative and... and through two through two movies, I think this is the crux of why this, these movies aren't better for me. Through two movies, they they keep bringing up his son passing away, and I just don't ever, I don't ever like connect like I just don't connect it to that character all that much. I don't. It's it's not that I don't care about a kid passing away. It's just that I don't. <laughs> it, it's hard for the movie to make me care about that story and its relevance to what's happening in the movie the backstory and so like i get that tyler has like a death wish or whatever and he and that's kind of why he throws himself into these situations but i just don't know that he reckons with it i mean they talk in the second movie about how he needs to find a reason that to have come back from you know when he nearly died uh at the end of the first movie and i don't know that he ever really does that as a character it, I, I think that's what the 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 potential for a theme to this movie would be and i just think they they kind of they fail to to go anywhere with it i don't know the, the whole the tyler backstory thing just never really does anything i will say with one mild exception and it's not a great scene but i did think that introducing uh olga kirilenko as mia his ex mm-hmm. um it was finally a moment of just a, like a little bit of humanity i thought from like uh, his relate his like uh, relationship with another human being and i did I guess it it worked better for his backstory than any other thing that I'd been shown. Like all those flashes of his kid playing on the beach in the first movie was just it just didn't do anything. So I I, I liked it a little bit better. I liked her role. Um, but anyway, yeah, you, David, you had mentioned the the Indian setting being your preferred one, and it's close for me. I think I prefer the setting. I think I prefer Georgia to India. Um, but only only because I think the Indian setting for the first one was just like I think it overly saturated with brownness and like gold 
like yeah. the imagery and Soderberg put the Soderberg filter on it. <laughs> yeah, although if I, I definitely this movie, I felt the Russo uh, influence on uh, this filmmaker when I was just like, man, this is like the same shade as all of Captain America: Civil War. <laughs> this is the same yeah. like gray action movie, uh, and it felt very much. It felt very similar, but um, uh, I guess. I don't know. I did think this was a better movie. It's just that, like, I don't know. For me, this is just a very consistent, too long, but a pretty consistent, solid C-plus movie that just, like, that's all it aims for. And it pretty, it mostly achieves what it aims for. Because I don't think it's, I think the the main star of the movie is uh, action choreography, fight choreography. And yeah. I think it's it's a standout. It's probably a notch below the John Wick movies. At least it's below the two that I've seen. But it's pretty close and probably better in that sort of genre than most other movies of, of that type that I've seen. Because I feel like this is the kind of movie that normally would just star Gerard Butler and uh, just be, you know, like pop up. It's like, this is really popular on Netflix right now. And I'll, I'll just be like, I've never heard anyone talk about this, but George, I do think Georgia this has a, fallen. The movie. <laughs> I do think this is a step above those kind of movies, uh, just based on it having one aspect where it's really good. Chris Hemsworth punched people with fire. And so it gets an extra half star for, for that alone. That was cool. <laughs> one last thing about the setting is, I think it's just the Georgia and the Eastern European setting I've just seen enough and learned that like the the prison he escapes out of is the same prison from Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Yes. But I was maybe I was like just like had Mission Impossible in the brain and been going through those and I was like, Okay, this is literally the same building. (laughs) This literally some of the same shots and literally a, a prison riot going on. But yeah, I do. I do take your points with with that. I do also think this one's better than the first one. It sounded good too. I thought it was good. the The movie sounded good in a like a surround sound setting. It's all those bullets zinging off things. <laughs> all them bullets. They sounded good. <laughs> they zinged. So I read an interview with the director. He um, can you guess what mid two thousands movie he cited as a major? Actually, one scene from a mid two thousands movie that he cited as a major influence on uh, this this movie. Old boy. It is. It is. A, it is probably my favorite movie from that year. Actually, Old Boy is one of the two movies that <laughs> uh, yeah that, that influenced this. Uh, although Old Boy is referenced in the script of this, apparently. Uh, the uh. Russos wrote, uh, the prison scene needs to be awesome, like old boy. That's <laughs> like what they wrote. It's like they just instructed the directors, like, you know, do an old boy. Is so, that the one, uh, Children of Men, maybe? The other is Children of Men, yes. Yeah. Those are the first two movies on my notepad. <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly. But I think, the, I think the difference for me in something, the, the one shot in Children of Men and then this is that in Children of Men, that is a scene that's constructed and it serves the story. Whereas this is a movie where the story serves the one shot, like the the, the scenes, the set pieces. Uh, it, it's sort of the reverse to me. And so like in this movie, you can yeah. tell that the only reason this movie exists is for these set pieces. Mm. Uh, 
and so that's why it's it's not as good of a movie. I think I think you can do that though. That was I had a list of one shots that not were like my favorite, but that achieved different things. To kind of to your point, Brent. Um, did y'all see the second Kingsman movie? Yes, mm-hmm. it wasn't that good, but the church scene and that that one shot is actually oh, yeah. done for fun, and that's mm-hmm. one way you can use it. I also had the first Avengers one shot as something that was a cool like building to moment. The first one where they sweep around New York City and they kind of stop on each of the oh, five yeah. Avengers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, maybe my favorite one shot ever is not from a movie. It's the uh, project scene in the first season of True Detective. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's kind of a whole movie. That scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's more, I think, Old Boy and Children of Men. Uh, maybe not Old Boy as much, but Children of Men anyway, where that's the story, is that shot. But, I don't know, I, got, I went in a deep dive in one shots and didn't really think about how they could serve different purposes, but... I'm glad you well, brought that I, up. I'm really not thinking about it beyond the fact that you can just you can just tell this movie is 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 we want to do we want a prison fight and a train escape, and then like you can just tell it's like how do we how do we make that happen? How do we get them into a prison? How do we get them onto a train? And it's just yeah, sort it's, of that. I don't I don't and I don't I'm not suggesting you're saying this, but I don't I don't think that alone makes the movie anything. I think like I mean I think John Wick is probably that way too. You know they. They had to kill a dog to figure out how to get John Wick to do all the cool shit we wanted to watch John Wick yeah. do. Um, but it works way better in the John Wick It just works better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think there's something about the... I think, TJ, you were, you were talking about how it's like the second 20 minutes of this is is they, they blow the... They blow their wad on the, on the big one shot. Versus like Children of Men, it's like the... It's a capitulation of like, you, you know the world, you know everything, you know the stakes... Old boy, it's a corridor fight. It's near the end. A lot of these things are like, like working up to this thing, and the rest of the movie just feels so like lifeless after that twenty minutes. Maybe maybe the placement of it could have been like the 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 big extraction at the end to get Sandro the uh, the betrayer son out of there. They could have done it then. You know, it might not have been a prison or whatever, but there's something odd about where it's placed in the movie. You know where you get the the audiences like we get our pulse pumping the most, and then there is I wrote a note, and I, I told you I wrote a note at the end of it. It's like wow, we have an hour and fifteen minutes left after this thing's over. Versus like I think placement and some of these other ones are like classics. Like True Detective, it's the end of it's the it finishes that episode and it's it really like kicks the season into the next gear. Some of these other movies. Old boy, children of men, um, scenes in uh, other. I mean, there's like Mission Impossible Fallout, the the Halo jump they do, in in there's a bunch of other movies in Revenant, like the raids on villages and stuff, where you know the characters, you know the stakes. I don't know. It's it it gets to a question like what what is the, what is the wonder even doing in this movie other than being cool, or is that sure, enough? No. Just just be cool. Yeah, I think yeah. that's it. <laughs> so I did. I, I did. Well, since we're talking about Wonders, David, did you, uh, you you had some thoughts on Wonders? Did you want to talk more about those in any way, or did we just sort of cover it? <laughs> that, that might be covered. Like uh, the movie doesn't really need its its Wonder, but the Wonder is looking in. It's looking for a movie to be in. Kind of, kind of what what you're talking did, about, Brent. 
they're they're completely uh, upfront about that too, which was like after the they did the the first extraction had a, a pretty good one shot uh, or oneer as well, where he throws the kid onto the other roof. Uh, it was it's also the best scene in the first extraction. Um, and they talked about how they just when they started making this movie they they said well we gotta we gotta top that one by like one or two minutes so we gotta, we gotta do it better and bigger and so i think that was sort of like one of the genesis points for this movie it's just is the the prison and the train fight so i guess that's and then again you know i've also heard about the new mission impossible movie that uh the direct that uh christopher mccrory said that uh he and when he first met tom cruise to talk about uh mission impossible seven that he said what do you want to do and uh mccrory said i've always wanted to do like a, a cool train sequence and tom cruise is like awesome i've always wanted to jump a motorcycle off a cliff so look <laughs> at we can we do those two things in this movie the rest of the movie will just come around but again i haven't seen the new the uh new mission impossible but i'm guessing it works just it just works better so that you can have those motivations sometimes like TJ said with uh, with John Wick movies, and sometimes it just works better. But yeah. you don't feel it as much when you're watching it. You don't like notice it as much. It doesn't stand out. But I do think that uh, I do think it's interesting where this guy comes from, um, Sam Hargrave. I've had to scroll down to his name every time because I can <laughs> I just cannot remember this guy's name. Sam Hargrave is a former stunt coordinator turned director. Um, I think that's like now gonna. Do you think that's is it already a big thing or do you think it's now going to kind of turn into a big thing? Cause I think undoubtedly extraction, I think has been a, a fairly big hit for Netflix. I get that, at least I get that feeling. Uh, they, they, they consider it a hit. And then the John wick movies being as big as they are, are we going to now see like this new sort of breed of action action movies where uh, it's stunt coordinators taking the reins to make movies where the character work is not that great but the uh the action itself is kind of a step above because this is way better this is way better action than what we were getting like 10 years ago in in standard action movies that would be on netflix yeah i mean i'm i'm down i'm i'm i mean y'all know my thing is just make more movies however you want to make them but like i'm totally down with i mean the Stunt coordinating is weird. I think stunt coordinating is always something I, th- I, th- I had an image in my head of what those guys did, and it was like falling onto a mattress from two stories up. And I think maybe it's changed over the past yeah. ten years, and now it's a lot more choreography, and that's the stuff that just really looks cool on screen. And safety work too, like safety uh, yeah, preparation. Sure. Yeah, they they do a lot of that and they, that's what this guy like really prides himself on is like being able to do all this stuff and guarantee everyone's safety uh, through the process i think yeah. that's a lot of what the work is is for them it's important that's for sure for for me i'm i'm for it because it's tracking people filmmaking with passion you can see where yeah. the passion is in this movie and it's the fights and it shows there's always going to be a need for these kind of movies. It's always going to fill a niche in in people and society and whatever. Like people like action movies where people get punched, and get blown up, to at least have it competent and not be just shaky cam obscuring what's going on or green screen everything. If this like is a wave of people doing things practically, where you can see it, it visible like 
you can see it visibly and like tangibly and you can kind of feel it that it actually connects i'm all for that because there's just we're at a point with like green screen stuff where i think we're educated enough as as viewers for most of the time where you can spot it where it's just it's mm-hmm. faked and it's just like that's a cgi body you know flying off in the distance so if you can do it safe and as filmmaker like they're showing their passion and their their stuff sure like it's cool they're probably following in the footsteps of like the john wick guys kind of got at this about 10 years ahead of them i do think like mm-hmm. has john wick like ruined these kind of movies for now i want like elaborate backstories and like a <coughs> established mythology in the extraction series to yeah. draw on i was like here comes the dealer <laughs> it's like who's that oh yeah he does he does this thing. He's like a super villain. He does deals. <laughs> I don't know. That was always the stuff in the John Wick movies that I just didn't care about at all. So I don't know. Maybe, I mean, it, it definitely, it works in those movies, but I think it works because, A, there's talent there. Mm. You know, a lot of those actors and actresses were good, especially in the first one. But I don't know. I think I laughed out loud the first time I saw John Wick when she gets assassinated at the end because she broke all the rules. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, they won't shut up in this movie about the rules and how rules. you die if you break them. And she broke them. And now she's just walking through Central Park. Like, you're probably going to die anyway. If you're walking through Central Park, it's like two in the morning. You're definitely going to get assassinated by the guild? I don't know what they're called. <laughs> <laughs> but at least, at least that has more mystique and intrigue to it than this. Which is just... Zero. Hey, it's yeah. it's another movie about you know a former Russian republic that yeah. <laughs> there's some there's a, a crime boss there. Great. Um, this movie did Great. feel like a this movie did feel like a, a video game playing like playing through a video game, but on, this this feels like a video game that's fun to play. But with cutscenes, you can't skip. Bad cutscenes, you can't skip. Yeah, that's, you, just, you described Call of Duty. You did it. So, <laughs> so you like put down the controller and go grab a drink when they start like talking in the hospital or whatever, and you come back and it's like, oh, is it time for me to play? Um, when he grabbed and, the big gun and started shooting the helicopters at the on the train at the end of the yeah. one shot, that's the scene in Call of Duty. It felt like where he talks to three people and he says their name but he can't say your name because you've entered your name in the game and he's like hey you grab that gun get those helicopters down after he tells jeb and frank to go take care of the front car or whatever it's like and that's another that that ending into that chain uh, the train sequence was with the the big gun and the helicopter was really impressive too because uh i think i read that the helicopter was flying like between 10 and 20 feet from chris hemsworth's face and Jeez. They were just like, they. everybody on the set was just total pros and not worried at all about it. And it was, I don't know, reading reading about that movie is, made me more anxious for the people filming it than any of the characters <laughs> in the movie. Um, <clears throat> so speaking of Chris Hemsworth and TJ, you kind of mentioned this as like a, uh, a topic. I got one more little stunt thing real quick. Oh, go for it. It's not serious. It's funny. I was trying to look up stuntmen who turned into directors earlier, and I came across the Burt Reynolds, like, stunt guy, Hal Needham. Hal, yeah. Yeah. Um, He's got a whole section in his wiki article called Rocket Car. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's got got one sentence, which is, Needham was the owner of the Budweiser Rocket Car. (laughs) 
it was intended to break the speed of sound on land. That's it. And I, I guess it didn't. But cliffhanger. <laughs> dude had a Budweiser rocket car. That's amazing. Um, that's that's the thing I had to add. <laughs> it's just the Budweiser rocket. It's, that's great. Do you, uh, actually, before we move on, are there any other like specific crew members that you think it would be interesting to see how they would approach directing the same way the stunt coordinator moved on? So, like, what if what if like a set decorator uh, became a director? Do you think they would just like go completely overboard with like it's like we're gonna have the most epic? production design that you've ever seen. So like Wes Finally. Anderson we're, we're so much money into this production design. I don't know. I, mean, I wonder I, know. I was going to be like, yeah, I saw Victoria and Abdul. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> that was that movie. The one thing I'm thinking of is like just like the letterbox snob thing. If it would be interesting for like to see what Hans Zimmer's movie would be that he like Oh. If he he's he's great at like putting like per, percussive action scores to to action and great at like having feeling and all this stuff like some composers out there it would be interesting to see what kind of movie that they would make if they instead of being you know being directed the kinds of stuff like the they had their own creativity in in, in doing whatever they want and maybe composing also I don't know that's that's the only other thing I can think of because actors direct writers direct <laughs> other cinematographers yeah. direct and you know for um for uh, uh stunt supervisors there is some inherent direction in their job already so it probably is why it's a fairly seamless transition mm-hmm. yeah from what and i read they're kind of in charge on those scenes anyway the directors are like yeah i'm not telling you what to do you you tell me what to do for these uh this guy in particular whose name is sam hargrave mm-hmm. <laughs> It is. It's like Fight Club. <laughs> Sounds like we're playing a Sam Hargrave game. How many times could yeah. <laughs> he? Uh, I mean, I couldn't even remember the name of Skype, the program we're using to talk to each other. There's no way I was going to remember Sam Hargrave's name through this. But uh, uh, no, he got his. Uh, I don't know about his start, but I think his uh, his breakthrough in st- in stunt work was he was uh, he was Chris Evans' double in Winter Soldier. Mm. Um, oh, nice. So he was he was the the Captain America. Uh, stunt double <clears throat> Chris Hemsworth we but the two of us put Chris Hemsworth down as a topic mine was uh, I just said I asked what kind of actor should he be and TJ uh, asks why does Chris Hemsworth make Chris Hemsworth make bad movie choices or does he and so I, I do think his career is interesting so uh, TJ what, what kind of what are you thinking there so I jotted down performances by him outside of the MCU that I thought were good. Not that all of his MCU performances are good, but mm-hmm. honestly, outside of the first two Thor movies, he's pretty great in all the MCU stuff, I think. Um, and he's not bad in the first two Thor movies. Those movies just kind of drag for me. He's, I think he's good the, the, in movies that are not that good. Right. Yeah. Um, so, performances that were good. I jotted these down. Star Trek. The first Star Trek. He's in it for three seconds. He's good. Yeah. Um... Ghostbusters, the Kristen Wiig one. He's fantastic yeah. in that movie. Uh, then there are actually another movie where he's not that good in it, but I think the movie is phenomenal. Cabin in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great yeah. movie. And then a movie where he is good and the movie is good, which I think there's only one, <laughs> is Rush. Oh, he is good in Rush. And that movie is very good. Yeah. There you go. So, is that the only non-MCU Chris Hemsworth good movie, good performance? 
I'll also throw in a movie that is pretty good. I wish it were better. I thought it would be better, and I thought he would be better, but he's also, he's okay, is uh, Bad Times at the El Royale, hmm. which is... I put that in the, that, he's, he's pretty good, the movie was not category for me. I really wanted yeah. to like that movie. That's the Cabin in the Woods writer directed that. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm open for anything else. I've seen a lot of his movies. I've, I mean, Red Dawn was real bad. Um, the Snow White movies are pretty boring for me. <laughs> did you guys ever see Spiderhead from last year? Also, Netflix? I did not see Spiderhead. I did not know Spiderhead existed until today when I was doing research for this podcast. <laughs> it's, it's not a great movie, but he's pretty good. Uh, he's pretty good in it. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's a different kind of look for him. I have, I have I've seen in the heart of the sea. It's not a particularly bad performance. It's just not a good movie. It's just there's not much. I don't think anybody could do to make that movie that much more fun because it's it's a slog to get through. That was my longest column. Was Chris Hemsworth is pretty good in this, and this movie's bad. Um, bad, you know, can be average, but not good. Um, and that's what led me to the does he make bad choices question particularly because i think he's got a lot of talent i think he's hilarious when he's doing comedy um and he's obviously great in the action realm he's he's such a charming actor and i feel like that character tyler rake is so charmless and it's it's really wasting one of his great gifts um the way thor doesn't yeah so it was like him and 12 strong and him and the huntsman movies like you're wasting chris hemsworth you know 12 strong is another very over serious movie that's pretty boring yeah um yeah men in black he's in he's in men in black international which is uh he's not very good in that movie that's that's maybe bad performance and bad movie yeah yeah um and i think that's everything i've seen him in i guess like it's it's the audience that dictates this right does he make bad choices according to people who like good movies or like variety or or like comedy yeah but you know he's got that he's got mcu money and he's got action movie money and maybe he's at the point of his life where he wants to take advantage of that and yeah obviously filling a niche that these kind of movies are going to get made and they're going to have a large punchy mcpuncher guy (laughs) he can be that for now i'd love to see him more in the ghostbusters mold though because he's and Thor Ragnarok, like yeah. incredibly funny, funny, incredibly charismatic, yeah. um, very can be very like dry or the butt of the joke, and is great. I'd love to see more like the rest of his career be that, but that those may not be successful because he's he's already cut this mold of being the blonde punchy guy or the blonde hammer guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's it. And, and Brent, me and David chatted a little bit before the podcast about it. That how dare you watching Extraction Two? I was like, oh man, there's so many kids that I went to high school with in rural Georgia that think this movie is awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's like a five star movie, right? And yeah. and that is, I think, kind of what David is is touching on, and I totally agree with that. These are bad choices for me, um, but I, I mean. Yeah, I don't my, know. I'm my, surprised you didn't sprinkle in more. Yeah, that's, that's of that. That's a fair point. Well, he's been so he's been so busy using that on Thor over the years. Like, it's true. 
I mean, like that's flexing his comedy muscles on Thor more than his action muscles in recent years. So maybe this is his uh, his outlet for for action more so than yeah. more so than Thor: Love and Thunder was because I can't honestly remember. I'm sure so much of that is CGI, and yeah. I, mean, I can't even remember counting mid credit scenes, which I think he only has one of. But I mean, he's, yeah, he played Thor in ten movies in ten years. That's that's busy. <laughs> have, have either of you seen Black Hat? No, I saw Black Hat around when it came out. It's it's a movie that I've heard. I don't know. I'm I'm very interested in seeing because it's a movie that has a low letterbox score, but a lot of the critics that I follow on letterbox love it, <laughs> and so I'm I'm very. But it's a Michael Mann movie, so it, it sort of fits with everything Michael Mann's been doing since, like Heat, where it's very divisive, like Miami Vice, where most people just don't like it and a handful of critics just adore it so i'm i'm interested in in black hat but did you like it tj no no but i'm not one of the critics you like <laughs> i think so that makes sense someone's gotta love this movie uh, right? no i don't remember a ton about it to be honest and I, I would it's just a movie that i wouldn't be up for a rewatch for unless somebody wanted to for some yeah. podcast or something. Don't pick Black Hat, please. <laughs> please, Brent, I don't, don't do think, it. I don't think I'm picking Black Hat anytime soon. Um, um, do y'all see what his 2024 releases are going to be, Chris Hemsworth? Yeah. Because he's going to be in a movie that I think we're all going to like a lot. Um, he's going to be in, in Furiosa, the George right. Miller Mad Max new movie. He's also cool. going to voice Optimus Prime in the next Transformers movie, whatever that one's going to be called. Cool. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Wasn't there a Transformers movie that came out this year? Probably. I was just like, I didn't even notice it. I don't think, like, it was a, a thing I think popped up on Letterboxd, and I thought, is this like a straight-to-video thing? But nope, it's just another full-fledged Transformers movie. Um, there mm-hmm. are one, two, three, four, five, six... Seven, eight, counting next year's release and Bumblebee Transformers movies. Mm, wow. Yep, one came out. One came out last weekend. Transformers: <laughs> Rise of the Beast. I feel like that's an AI-generated title. <laughs> no, you got me. I want to make. I want to. I want to AI generate some Transformers titles. <laughs> Real bad. I'm just trying to look up what's happened because Peter Cullen was Optimus Prime in like the 80s movies and like through all of the Transformers movies. I was wondering, I looked him up to see like, did he die? Is that why Chris Hemsworth is doing this? And no, I guess just... He just got tired of making Transformers (laughs) movies. Just Hemsworth. I guess he's 81 years old now. And maybe he's like, I'm done, Michael Bay. I'm done. (laughs) You you want some Transformers AI generated subtitles? <laughs> I already pulled some up. <laughs> oh, did you do? Yeah. Uh, I was typing. Yeah, I like Transformers: Reign of Chaos. Uh, it's it's very Lars von Trier. Transformers: Chronicles of Energon. <laughs> Energon. I don't know. Either one. War for the Cosmos. How are these not real? These these have to be real. Dawn of Extinction. That's a. That's got to be a. That is definitely a Transformers. Isn't? Movie, right? I think that's Dawn one, isn't it? Nope. It's one now. 
Age of Age of Extinction. I'm pretty sure that's a survivor thing. Edge of Extinction. <laughs> um. Anyway, I don't want to get too off track here. But, Just off track um, enough. We are we are off <laughs> Transformers Cyberverse Chronicles. It's <laughs> a good one. It's like the YA series. <laughs> like Shadowfall Conspiracy could be the next Mission Impossible movie or the next Transformers movie. Well, wrapping up <laughs> Extinction Extraction too. <laughs> Well, That's there is the going to be an extraction three. Too. They already greenlit it. Do you guys have a? Uh, well, so he's going to get out of jail and do the whole thing again, save people again. Ooh, let's 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 have three guesses real quick on the setting of this. Yeah. One. I think uh, I'm going to go like South Pacific. Oh yeah, I was, I was going to say Asia or maybe break into China, but they may not want to do that. To <laughs> you can't say Asia. The first two movies are both Asia. <laughs> I like just break into China. He just it's extraction, but he's just he's just going on vacation. He's got passport problems. And <laughs> like as 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 cool as it would be to just be like I don't know, like Japan or somewhere. I, I feel like this is going to Colombia. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's that's this, this is the most like like what's the most standard? Brett broke like, the game by boring. being boring. <laughs> yeah. Drug dealers in Col- the drug cartel in Colombia has a kid who's probably about the same age as Tyler's boy would be now, who <laughs> needs extracting. So he gets to, you know, try to atone for the sins of his past by being a father figure for a few weeks. What if he extracts himself this one this time? Mm, like a Just dental thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> he pulls a tooth. Here, here's my question. Will, he will, do you he... straight to a doorknob, slams the door. That's the, the short film. <laughs> Ow! I've had a lot uh, worse. <laughs> my question is: Do you think, on uh, without being assigned by a podcast, do you think you would watch Extraction Three when it, if it hits Netflix in a year? Oh, no. Only if it's Extraction North Pole. He's trying to get an elf out of there. <laughs> Even then, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with yeah. no. I think I would. I think I would. I li- I think. I mean, I can tell. I like this movie slightly more than you all do, but um, I do think that uh, I am glad to see that uh, the character of Nick uh, survived because I do think she'll she's kind of fun. And yeah, we didn't talk about her a lot. She's actually yeah. really good, and she was really good at the stunts. And she was kind of the breakout yeah. of this movie. If if the the best thing this movie does is give uh, her more stuff to do, and she was, I think. I first saw her in the Patterson movie, the Jim Jarmusch movie with Adam Driver, and she is she's uh, she's probably the best act, actor in this movie and ex- the first Extraction, and I hope she does more cool stuff. Her name is uh, Golshifta Gul- Gul- Farahani, mm-hmm. Iranian actress. Yeah, I did like her, and I'm I'm I'll sign up now that I know that the second or the third movie will probably be her, uh, you know, Nick and Rake. And, raking it up and the unnamed stranger who was credited with a name didn't make any sense oh Idris Elba as Alcott yeah I was like I how is he unnamed and named Alcott <laughs> what is this Alcott. I don't know uh, speaking of speaking of actors with odd career choices I don't want to I'm not going down this rabbit hole but there's an actor who 
20 years ago I thought was going to, or 15 years ago I thought was just going to take the world by storm and he just keeps turning out forgettable performances in forgettable movies. Because I never saw Beast of No Nation or Luther, I still think that I've never seen him be good in anything <laughs> except for the He's office. great in both of those, too. Yeah. yeah, I haven't seen Beast of No Nation, but I, yeah, I've seen The Wire and parts of Luther. Um, yeah. he, he's the, such a talented actor. Escape from Limes movie, I don't know if either one of y'all saw that. Beast, maybe is what it's called. came out last mm-hmm. year, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a fun movie that knew it was only supposed to be 90 minutes long. So, if that's streaming anywhere, check that one out. <clears throat> well, Extraction 2, would you recommend it to anyone? Or would it, would it be sort of like a, a like a careful recommendation like if this is because for me that's what it is it's uh like my my father-in-law passed away a few years ago but he he liked movies like this and i think i would i would tell him make make a point to go see this movie like make a point to to watch this at some point you'll love it and i think there are people out there who if i if they love just sort of like action movies that are all about the action I think this is sort of a kind of a must-see movie for people who are into that. When and I was explaining it to Al earlier, I told him it was it, it felt to me like a revamp of Rambo. Like, do you like the Rambo movies? I probably like these. Okay, I'd say obviously they're a lot they're a lot better with the choreography and stuff. But yeah, if you like them, that's it's very watchable. Yeah, I'd mm-hmm. I'd maybe just say I'd say no, but check out the twenty minutes on YouTube or something. Check out the the one or on YouTube. Where it will, it will inevitably live. And you really don't need to know the plot to watch that one, or do you? Nope. Good point. Nope. Impressive. There's so freedom. Pointless. There's freedom in that. In that, for me, There's, it's, it's nice. It's nice being able to look down at my phone and not miss anything important during a movie. Sometimes. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> okay. Mild recommendation for me. A very mild. And uh, David's going no, and TJ's kind of in. Yep. If you like those movies, you probably Ish. already have seen it. So I'm going to just go. That's what I was going <laughs> to say, though. There's, I don't know who I'm talking to. Like, oh, I'm really into fight choreography. Uh, <laughs> but i got to mention a movie they haven't seen. If so, they're they're lying about being really into that. Well, that will wrap it up. I, I can't think of anything else for us to discuss. No, nope, uh, we're good. Yep, yep that's, that's another episode. This is episode 226, I think, of... Talkie talk. 226 in the books. Raked it over. Uh, Tyler Rake. Rake through the neck. Uh, so, anyway, thanks for listening. <coughs> and uh, please subscribe. Also, I'd like to ask that you follow us on Letterboxd if you are on Letterboxd. If you're not, get on Letterboxd. If you're listening to this, you probably love movies. And it's a great uh, sort of social media website for people who love movies. And, um, we can be found at letterbox.com backslash TMBU. So that stands for the, the media by us. So, uh, yeah. Please tell somebody, please tell somebody about this podcast and, um, you know, if they have a phone, make sure they got a phone, make sure it's somebody worth telling <laughs> about a podcast. And, uh, God, we don't like people without yeah, phones. Hey, gatekeeping energy uh, at the end here. Uh, <laughs> are you using a landline? Jeez. But yeah, anyway, spread the word. <clears throat> but I want to thank you, David, for joining thank us. Thank you. Thanks, boys. <laughs> and thank you, TJ. Thanks, Brett. Thanks, David. And Thanks, take Jeff. us out, Boo Reefa. 
nice. Arriba. Arriba. But yeah, yeah, thanks, and uh, till next time. Bye. Bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All